Hello and welcome to That Tech Show, the show that reveals the magicians behind the magic that is everyday technology. David Crawford is on the show today and he gives us an insight into his work as CTO at Naked Wines, bringing a monolithic application to something more modern while keeping business as usual. Some great insight into how to balance feature delivery of a live website while working on a next-gen product alongside it and the communication necessary to the business stakeholders. Before we get going on this one, I'd like to ask that if you're a fan of the show, then please, please consider leaving us a review on podchaser.com. Just search for That Tech Show. Or if you're an Apple Podcast user, leave us a review on there. It really helps the show. So without further ado, here is David Crawford. I am David Crawford. I'm the group CTO for Naked Wines. I've been a technologist for over 30 years. And quite frankly, I can't believe they still let me turn up and do it. But whilst they're willing to let me do it, that's what I'm going to do. Very good. I'm super curious because you've basically been a CTO for a large part of your career and for many, many different companies. I'm wondering, you know, what, what's brought you to Naked Wines? I, I'll tell you a little bit about Naked Wines and then I'll answer that question from a historical point of view of how, how I got here. Yeah. So Naked Wines is a a great company which meets a few needs for me or a few aspirations for me. The size of the company, we're, we're about a 400 million uh, revenue company. We're in um, three territories. So we were founded and, and we're headquartered in the UK. That's our most mature territory. And we're also in America and growing rapidly there and in Australia. And and those are three you know, big wine drinking uh, continents. And so um, that's where we've, that's where we focused our target market over the last 12 years. Naked Wines was very much a startup built by local people in Norwich in Norfolk. And it's gradually brought on more people and used the expertise of, of the founders on the ground. And it's developed into this global company. We do something quite simple, but quite powerful, which is that we sell wine directly to consumers that we have sourced through a partnership with winemakers. Um, so we we go around the world and we find winemakers who either are already independent winemakers or want to be independent winemakers, but haven't got the funding or you know can't take the risk to do that. And we use money from our customers who we call angels. And those angels tend to join us for long periods of time. And they put a certain amount of money, 20, 25, 30 pounds, however much they want, into into the naked into their naked wines wallet as it were and we use that as a funding mechanism to support independent wine makers around the world and we get quite involved in that process we can help with uh, label design we can help with bottle bottling the wine uh, we do all of the distribution to our uh, into our warehouses and then and then distribution out to out to the consumers it's a pretty simple proposition in that sense it's founded on a couple of key principles. One is that you'll never get a bad bottle of wine from us. We have expert wine tasters around the globe who go out and seek the winemakers. The winemakers themselves wouldn't send out anything which they weren't happy to have their personal names on. And so consequently, when you join, you kind of start going, oh, okay, this wine, this wine's really nice. This wine's really, and, and we win awards and we blind test against other wines. So our product quality is you know, the really important thing for us. But the second thing is that it's just so easy to find and get. Um, you don't have to be a wine expert. We're not wine snobs. 
I know nothing about wine. Actually, that's not true. I've just done a little little wine course because because all of our employees get the opportunity to do that. And I've really enjoyed that. And now I know the difference between red and white wine, which is great. <laughs> well, I think you're, um, you're what, nine months into the role out of a, um, well, it's been going since 2008, I think, hasn't it, Naked Wines? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm 18 months in now. Oh, are you 18 months in? Yeah, yeah. All right, I'm, I'm reading the, my dates wrong. <laughs> no, no, I, I, it might be something I haven't updated. So, no, I, I'm, I joined in January 2020. I was there for four weeks, just starting to get to know everybody, and we went into lockdown. So, oh, really? so most of my sojourn there has been has been in lockdown. And um, I've started recently. I've met quite a few of the people. We just actually got to have our our summer party in a field uh, to be to be COVID safe. We had a field each. Norfolk's that big that you could. Yeah, the I was whole, say. You know, we all had a field each and shouted at each other via megaphones to be safe. So yeah, so that's that's Naked Wines, and one of the reasons I'm at Naked Wines. I can help them in their in their growth. Um, I've got some experience there. I can help them in their organizational product and technology organizational transformation to be a much uh, larger company in the future. So those are things that, you know, helping a company on its maturity path, right? So that's just something I've got some experience in. But the other reason, so, so that's what I can help Naked Wines with, but what they can help me with is getting closer to a smaller team and the technology. One of, one of the things that I'll, I'll mention is that I worked for Sky, which is a massive, massive company. And you can get a little bit lost in Sky. I, I did okay at Sky. Well, I, I think I did okay anyway. I, I got reasonably high up the ladder. I was two away from the, the CTO at Sky. I had, you know, 1,000 plus engineers working underneath me. And uh, I, I sat in my ivory towers and I signed checks and kissed babies. And I thought, this is it. I've made it. I've, I've earned this. This is my career. And I was bored out of my skull at the end. Skype, my started my journey at Sky was very exciting. Did lots of different things. But I just got bored by the end of it because I didn't know anybody. Everybody knew who, who I was. You walk down the corridor and everybody's like, hi, DC. Hi, DC. Hi, DC. Everybody calls me DC. But I, yeah, I just didn't, I didn't know anybody and I didn't like that. So when I came to Naked Wines, I looked back across my career and thought, where was I happiest? And I was happiest at about a team of about 120 people. You can know 120 people. And so I went, Naked Wines is that sort of size, or it, it will be when I've finished with it. So yeah, that, that's, that's what attracted me to there. I could go back over the rest of my career if you want me to. We'll dip into that, but I, I'm... because. Naked wines and wine in itself doesn't inherently sound like a digital proposition. You know, I'm assuming you're 100% online and that's where the digital and the technological sort of um, challenge is. Yeah, and, and, it's a, and it's a big challenge, right? I mean, we all know that everybody aspires to just be Amazon and say, well, just do it like Amazon. They're hugely successful. And then we spend our entire life moaning about how the Amazon website works, right? So, <laughs> you know, the whole world of online e-commerce is constantly evolving. You have very demanding customers because as soon as one company comes up with a new way of doing stuff, think back to a few years ago, you know, when you had PayPal and Apple Pay starting to come up, and every time another company went, oh, we do it this way, one-click buying and all, of, you know, it's just like uh, recommendation engines and all of that kind of stuff. All of that stuff has to evolve as you go along. And so that's the that's the challenge in Naked Wines. It's, it's one product, but there's a lot of complexity within that product. And because we tend to attract people who 
are not wine experts, but who are interested in wine. Our angels are very engaged in the product. They want to know a lot about it. They want help finding the wine that, that they're tuned into. They want recommendations. They want to be able to review it. And so from that point of view, you know, it's a it's e-commerce in its transactional nature, but it's also a community where there's information and engagement with the winemakers and all those kinds of things. So all of those challenges. And then the other thing is just to just to slightly correct the assumption, we're we're not just online. We have call centers in all three territories. We have we call them customer happiness agents. Why not? <laughs> People are paid to come up with those names, aren't they? Yeah, they are. I think quite a lot of money actually. But and and uh, but our our customer happiness team are knowledgeable about the product, and so a lot of people they might start online, but then they want to transition to our call center so that they can speak to somebody and say, "I'm not sure about this one or that one," or "I thought I saw a 2019 vintage, but now I can only see a 2020 vintage," and so we have people who can talk to them about that. So we we try to retain the human part of that, but then to your point, Sam, about how does that digital? Well, we've got people who want to start to, in our call centers doing things like sentiment analysis. You know, we want to know how our customers are feeling in certain situations and stuff like that. So, you know, all of technology is constantly niggling away at that. And I think for Naked Wines in particular, and I know my colleagues won't mind me saying this, you know, they they traded very much uh, until recently, they traded very much on their on their wits and, and, you know, their initiative and stuff like that. Didn't have a lot of money, didn't throw a lot of money at technology. The technology that, that is there, which was which has done the company proud for the last 10, 12 years, was you know, quite sort of pulled together in a way and, and slightly underinvested. We now have an opportunity with our growth plans to invest in technology and take us to the next level. And that's what I'm doing with my team. So is there an exciting direction for that then? Because obviously with it being e-commerce, you know, I think, you know, as you mentioned with Amazon, everyone can kind of see, you know, there's a standard way of doing e-commerce. You know, I think it gets, you do get that added complexity when you're talking about the customer service agents and them actually having the knowledge at their fingertips must be a real challenge. But is there, is there something that you're sort of breaking out of the mold or pushing the edges, pushing the bounds of technology? Or is it, is it slightly easier because you kind of know the direction you're going in with it being like, a, you know, it's an e-commerce track or, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to sort of tease at it a little bit. I think it's a bit of both, Chris, right? I think I think that there are some foundational things which just need to be better, just the way in which they do things. So, for example, our recommendations capability, you know, it's been sort of pulled together with bits and bobs over the years and it was kind of okay but now as we're getting to a larger volume of customers and a larger volume of wines and winemakers maybe the algorithms aren't tuned as well as they could be so there's some good basic hygiene that we're tidying up on and that we're focusing in on to make those things better but then we're also looking you know and and the, the pandemic you know caused us to think about this is how do people engage with the product how do people engage with wine so you know we're looking at virtual tastings for example and how we can how we can do things like that and we change it's not really a a, a technology thing although technology underpins some of it but we created some tasting packs which we'd not done before because we'd always encourage people to come out to tasting tours but now we're sending tasting packs to people's houses so that they can join a, a virtual tasting session yeah that sounds cool yeah, and so I, and I think there'll be more technology innovation that comes out of that. And having said, everybody looks to Amazon and goes, "Oh, well, just just be like that then, and and that'll be okay." I I think that's too easy. I think we're we're constantly looking for that evolving 
situation. And I mean, I, I don't think, you know, we're not putting a man on the moon here, right? We, we sell wine on online, right? I, I, I mean, I'm enthusiastic about that. I know that didn't sound like an enthusiastic statement, but, you know, I love our product and I love our customers and our, and our winemakers and, and being involved in that. But it's it's not difficult. We want to get the basics right, and then we want to look for those little opportunities that makes the experience better for our customers. And whether that's a customer turning up on the website and us already knowing that they've got an order that's due the next day, so they're probably there to check in on that, and therefore, you know, offering a pop up that says, "Hey, Fred, are you here to check in on your wine? I can tell you where it is in its journey." You know, just being a bit more kind of personalised, or whether it's about trying to guide people to new and exciting and interesting wines through their purchasing habits and, and browsing habits of the past and making a more personalized concierge type type uh, experience on the website those are those are all exciting things they're not they're not brain surgery though right we're not trying to we're not trying to put a man on the moon here well just digging into those in a little bit i mean you've you've got a background doing transformational work as well once you you left sky is is that a particular problem you talked about uh, you know having sort of under underfunded technology at naked wines um was similar to how you phrased it i think is it digging into like how do we deploy this how do we get it faster how do we uh, make it more resilient how do we make it stronger is is that part of the journey that you're having to focus on yeah, it's it's that, and it's the people, and it's the process. So for sure, um, I mean, we have a, a monolith uh, that's been built over twelve years. It does its job. It's it's pretty good, right? We 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 continually, you know, try to make it better and stuff. But when I turned up, I looked at it and uh, talked to the teams, and they tried to sort of go a bit more microservices a, a couple of years ago, and and again, they just didn't have the focus in the investment and the buy-in from the from the executives. And so I, I guess I used my experience and maybe a little bit of my false of personality to, to go and convince the board that we needed to invest a separate money, amount of money, as well as our normal day job, to do a transformation, a technology transformation. And so we've set up, we, we've gone for a really original term. We call it the next-gen platform. <laughs> I wonder how many next-gen platforms there are out there. I mean, a lot, a lot. Somebody should definitely brand that, right? You know. Yeah, there's, there's Phoenix projects all over the place and, you know. <laughs> but at least we're not calling stuff after Star Wars anymore. We've gone beyond that, right? So, I think Games, Game of Thrones is very in at the minute still. Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. So yeah, so so we're taking the taking the monolith and we're going to follow a, a Mac architecture, microservices, API first. Uh, I always have to remember what it stands for: cloud and headless. It's more of a philosophy than a than a product or a platform designer or, or whatever. But we're, we're going on that journey, and so we're investing you know, uh, quite an amount of time and energy and money into into doing that. And my complete and utter justification for it was, well, otherwise the platform won't grow with us as a company. The, the current platform, you'll just get to that point where you just can't add more to it. So scale will become a problem. Uh, reliability and resilience will become a problem and, and speed of development on it will become a problem. And, you know, I think that's that's where the people aspect comes in. We've got people who have been with us for a long time. People like working for Naked Wine. It's a really nice company. It's a really nice culture. We look after people. Everybody gets involved in the in the product, et cetera, et cetera. It's not hard to get involved in the product when it's wine, I have to say, but there you go. <laughs> do, do you have any non-alcoholics at your... Uh... Uh, non-alcoholic wines? 
No, or do you have any non-alcoholic people at your organisation? Presuming the rest of them are alcoholics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not sure that's not a loaded question, Chris, but... No, I realise that now I've said it. <laughs> <laughs> we, have, uh, uh, we have a lot of diversity in our company. And, um, and we certainly have people who we have uh, a, a complete age range. Uh, I have to say, I, I turned 50 this year. I'm probably one of the oldest people in the company. Yeah. And, um, and so we have quite a lot of young people and they have all sorts of range of tastes. Some, sometimes they're, they're non-drinkers, sometimes they're vegetarians. And so, you know, we're constantly looking at how to support those people. And we, we don't just send everybody wine as a reward, right? We still, we still do chocolate. We still do pizza. We still do beer. We still do go-karting. We do all the, all the normal things. But, but yeah, it, we, we do also have an employee benefits program that, that has a little bit of wine associated with it. But, you know, you, you, don't, you don't have to take it up. Well, you know, just talking back onto onto that technology side of things, my question was really how you balance sort of the old and new there, because you've got a platform that is delivering, is working, but obviously you want to move to this uh, microservices or Mac architecture. I hadn't used Mac before. I think that's quite cool. I'll try and use that in a sentence today. Um, but <laughs> but how you how you make that shift from a monolith to a Mac? Um, whilst actually still delivering you know how do you how do you play that balance because i think that's a particular challenge for a cto yeah so before i got there as i say they they had attempted it a bit they popped out a couple of little microservices and what they'd done is that they turned around to the business and they said look we're going to try this thing so don't ask us to do anything new on the current systems for the next three months because we're just going to focus on this. We're going to put all the resources on this. So unless something breaks, don't ask us. So so product development, it wasn't called that in, in Naked Wines then, it is now, but product development just went on pause and they focused on building a microsite. And, and of course it failed because, you know, two weeks after that, you know, everybody in, in the wider business was clamoring for new features and help with, you know, changing campaigns and all that kind of stuff. And and so it, it just didn't work because there wasn't enough focus there. And and that wasn't the fault of the technology team. That was the fault of the company not investing and dedicating in it. Yeah. So basically my journey started with the with the board and the executive team of which I'm part to really explain in, in in ways that was not about technology, but was about business benefit, that we needed to make this dedicated investment. As a result of that, without getting too boring, I got a ring fence team to focus on the next gen platform for six months. And I told these guys, you've got six months before anybody's going to knock on your door and say, what are you doing? You know, what, what what's going on here sort of thing. That six months probably turned into nine months. And, and the part of the challenge was stopping them just continually innovating and doing other stuff and playing around because, you know, I think we all know that if you give a technologist an inch, they'll take a mile. And I think that, that you know, I, I had a very excited and engaged team made up of some of the old guard who had the experience of the current architecture. And we brought to some new people with microservices type experience, merged them all together, gave them pizza and beer and said, go for it. And, and they've come out with an architecture uh, which is not just about technology architecture, but is about doing continuous integration, continuous delivery, and a tool set and a process to support that. Um, is about automation testing and making sure that that's at the heart of how we develop code, because a lot of these things just weren't 
there before. Good technology, you know, well well built and solid, but just some of the newer principles of how to develop systems. And they've had to learn that and put it together. And now we're in the process where we've got a bit of a platform then. We, we've, we've not replicated the, the monolith. We've created a framework in a, in a next-gen type format that now the existing product development teams can start to pick up and use. And so now you're in a choice and, and it's actually going to get harder before it gets easier, Chris, to your point, where a new requirement's going to come across, come down through the through the product model and the, the product squad are going to sit there for a particular uh, part of the business and are going to go, well, we could develop this in two weeks on the old platform or we could take use of the new architecture and framework that we've got and develop it in six weeks. What shall we do? And that's where I give them the courage of my conviction, and I'm passing that down through my leadership team as well, to say, well, we'll choose. We'll choose what the priority and importance to the business is, but I'm I'm mostly going to vote on strategy. I'm mostly going to vote on doing something sustainably for the future. But and I, and and the executive team are supporting us with that. You know, we're we as long as we cover the basics, as long as we keep trading, as long as we do that, I think that you know they're willing to make that investment for the future, and that's the right attitude. So you're still at a point where the promised land is a little far away, where you know you, you're you're talking about. We can turn around a product experiment in a couple of days on the new microservices architecture because I, you know, I know how these things go. Um, but you, you're at that tipping point. It sounds like between choosing between old and new, and the old is still very tempting. Like, how how long do you think it's going to take you to get through that? I think it'll take another eighteen months to two years. I think there there and there will be some areas where we have to go. Okay, well, we'd rather do it in the new way, but it's just much quicker and helpful for the business if we do it in the old way. And it will be confusing for people and be like, why are we doing it in the old way? I don't get it sort of thing. And so actually part of mine and my leadership's team job over the next 18 months, two years, is to just evangelize around why we're doing this stuff and just convince not just the technologists in the team, who, who I think want to always do the new stuff, but, but sometimes convince them why it's important to do the old stuff to support business priorities, but also go around the globe and make sure we're engaging with non-technical stakeholders so that we can bring them and understand that journey. So, And, and to be honest, my, my job, um, you know, I made uh, allusions to in, in my introduction to, I can't believe they still let me turn up. Well, technologically, they probably shouldn't let me turn up because although I'm talking with confidence about these new technologies and stuff, I've absolutely been promoted to my level of technical incompetence. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm a technologist. I'll always be a technologist, and I have a, a reasonably good and broad understanding of technology. But I'm not the guy who's going to architect the API. I'm not the guy who's going to put up the CI pipeline and decide how that best works and stuff like that. I've got experts in the team to do that. My job is to make sure those experts are there. My job is to make sure they're empowered and then to help with them to bring everybody else in the company on that journey. But it's tough and it requires a lot of repetition and a lot of going back and explaining. And, and you can't say to a stakeholder after six months, go, I told you this six months ago. Did you not listen? You can't do that, right? So you just have to gently go again and explain the whole thing. That must leave you in a certain a certain element of discomfort, though, I suppose, not really being hands-on with the technology anymore, but knowing what it can bring, you know, having seen it in other places as well. And then you've still got to evangelize it to a board that are still going through that transition transition point and actually still looking and waiting to get to that promised land. That, that must be um, a little uncomfortable. How, how do you manage that sort of being out of your comfort zone a little bit? Well, I, 
that's interesting that you would say that's uncomfortable. I would say that's what gets me out of bed hmm. because because it's just it's never even occurred to me that I'm uncomfortable in that area. It's it's the thing that I enjoy doing most, explaining to non-technologists how technology can benefit our organization. And so, you know, that is my role as an evangelist. And, I, I, you know, I, I say I'm, I, I, you know, I'm not in the detail of technology. I can turn it on when I need to, right? I can, and it never hurts to surprise one of your developers with a really specific, <laughs> deep question. <laughs> and they suddenly go, Oh, I thought he was just a pretty boy at the top, right? And and you know, suddenly he's he's asking me about, you know, latency of API calls and it's like, "Oh, I better just check in on that a bit," right? So, yeah, I, there's a balance to be made. I have got to have credibility with my team, right? I, I can't just be a marketeer or anything like that. Uh, and I, and I hope and I hope I do have credibility with my team. I hope I show I exercise that technology muscle enough that I have credibility. But no, 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 no uncomfortableness. I, I, you know, I love talking to to non technical people and and just explaining stuff to them. And I do that outside of my my business life as well. My family are fed up of me explaining how things work in the world of technology. So, well, I mean, I must admit, I I kind of feel in in this. Uh in that sort of uncomforted bubble, let's say, going through digital transformations. Because, you know, I, I think I've probably done a similar amount to you, probably from different positions, of going through that cycle and still trying to convince people at board level that, don't worry, it's going to get there in the end. And it is it is an exciting thing. I think what I'm trying to get at is what what's the sort of feeling, how do you try and convince a board that maybe because they're not, you know, because they're not technologists and you're trying to sell them on a vision that they can't necessarily see or understand, how do you communicate it to them so that they can see it and then keep them motivated whilst they're waiting for it to happen? Because it's not it's not an overnight sensation, is it? Well, that it's, it's not a complete overnight sensation, but you do have to have lots of little moving forward moments, right? You know, we're... We're not back in the in in the nineties where we do you know three year multi billion pound NHS implementation programs right that that's not what we do yeah and t- trust me I come from I come from that world of long long term programs you know waterfall massive things we're 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 an agile product development company right we we do things in an iterative fashion if you want to eat an elephant you cut it up into small chunks right and so we we do that. And so we prove that value as we go forward. Now, that's not always possible. And sometimes it is just constant reference to the promised land. So, for example, we've just uh, chosen a a CMS product, uh, previously having built our own sort of internal CMS and a couple of bits that that populate content to the website and app. But we've just gone and bought a third-party product. And that probably took us as a vendor selection exercise and then as and then as um, trialing it and, and doing all that probably took us six months in the end because we wanted to get it right. And uh, I, I'm happy to sell all of that data to anybody who wants it about the vendor selection exercise. And basically, I think all the time the business are like, well, why don't you just, just go out there and, and get Shopify and stick it in? And, and we're like, okay. Let's just talk about that, you know, sort of thing. And so there was quite a lot of like, just we're doing this. It's you know, and that can be frustrating when you have to sort of say something's coming, something's coming. Trust me, trust me. But you know what? I think technology has moved on in its relationship, and this is certainly one of the reasons why I embraced uh, Naked Wines was because I I talked to all of the executives and to the board members before I joined. You know, and I wanted to get their take on technology and they wanted to have a trusted partnership relationship. I'm not some supplier with a bunch of coding monkeys, right? 
I'm part of the business. And so they trust me and my team to do what is right for the business. And I think that's at the core of any technology transformation. Because ultimately, to your exact point, Chris, sometimes you have to turn up and you just go, I could explain this to you. You won't really understand it. We just have to do it. Okay. You know, and and at that point, you want somebody who goes, okay, Dave. You know, and and you know, they want a bit more and you and you want to give a bit more, but sometimes you just have to go we just have to do this all right it's it's you know it's complicated and it's technical but we just have to do it now i hate saying that to people because i like to be able to explain everything but sometimes that trust relationship is what underpins that mm. this all sounds super squeaky clean this whole process this whole moving into a new digital platform and all the rest of it you've mentioned challenges around convincing people what other challenges were there? Because this, this to me, to my, uh, maybe the nuances, Chris, you can notice more than what I do, but there must have been more challenges to this because this seems to be going and have, has been going very fairly well from a, from a migration standpoint. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an optimist. I, I probably put a positive spin on most things. I'm sure if my team listened back to this, they'll be like, why didn't he mention that meeting where everybody had fisticuffs, you know, sort of thing. And I, 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 we didn't. But I, I think that um, there, there are lots of challenges of, of bringing people. And I, I keep saying, oh, I love explaining technology to non-technical people. One of the biggest challenges is that because we're an e-commerce company at our foundations, we have a lot of people who, who are not part of the product and technology team who know a bit about technology. And, and that you know, that old adage of a little knowledge is dangerous. I, I don't think that quite applies here. I think it's almost like a little knowledge can be really frustrating for everybody because now, you know, we're getting called quite rightly by our stakeholders in the business going, yeah, but when I was at so-and-so company, we, we had a piece of technology that enabled us to do this. Why aren't you doing that? Why haven't you given us one of those? And, you know, for example, I mentioned Shopify a moment ago. Yeah, well, our American business wants to do quite a lot of things with engaging customers in a community sense. And, and Shopify is really good at being able to promote a, a vast array of multimedia and getting it up onto your website really easily, right? It's kind of what it does for, for small, medium-sized businesses. And so, you know, we had to continually talk to our American, why, why don't why don't just, I don't understand why you don't just implement Shopify, right? And we couldn't just say, well, Shopify is, you know, not quite right for us end of conversation yeah we had to and actually in actual fact none of us had implemented shopify right we'd heard of it in other but we had so we're like we need to go and check this out and, and come up with a a decent answer and actually maybe be open to the fact that shopify might be the answer for some aspects of our of our service and we went away and, and we did a piece of decent analysis and this is where agile and analysis sometimes knock up against each other a little bit, right? Because we go, oh, we're agile. That's that's a week or two week sprints. And we just go again and deliver and go again and deliver. And actually, you know, we went away and we said, actually, this is probably like a four week exercise minimum of, of checking out what, what functionality and what capability we need and whether or not something like Shopify could do it. And in the end, we, we did a real proper exercise uh, not quite vendor selection, but just kind of some analysis on on different uh, functionalities in the marketplace and our own functionality. And we came up with something which we've determined the quirky 12, which is, is 12 things that are quite unique to our business and our business proposition and how we trade. I won't talk you through them all. Some of them are secret source. But basically, 
we then did a comparison against some of the industry standard best practice e-commerce platforms. And I, I, I won't name names, but nobody scored above a six. So, you know, we would have to buy those platforms and then extend them to do the things that we think we need to do. But then, of course, everybody's got a different opinion on whether the Quirky 12 are needed. And maybe we should just go for the six and get out there faster. And so that whole challenge of bringing people on that journey is and, and being constantly challenged about your technology strategy and having educated, much more digitally educated and digitally savvy stakeholders now, you can't turn up and say, it's complicated, you won't understand. You just... You know, because I go, actually, I, I do think I understand this a little bit, you know, and, and so I want to I want to challenge you on it. So, yeah, but but that's leading to more intelligent conversations with our with our business stakeholders, which which can only be a good thing. I mean, how many times have you heard a technologist go, oh, they wrote a one line requirement and now I don't know what to build. Yeah. And now they're not writing one line requirements. They're practically in the code with you sort of saying, well, why don't you do it this way? And why don't you do it that way? So, you know, as technologists, the things that we've been moaning about for years of better engagement, more commitment, more understanding, our stakeholders are turning up with that nowadays. And we have to embrace that more. You talked about quick wins before. As you went on this journey of having a, a sort of an accelerator team or a skunkworks team or whatever it is that you want to call them, if that's a nine-month roadmap, essentially, not roadmap specifically, but a nine-month exploration into this new Mac platform, how do you develop sort of quick wins and sort of fend off the Shopify uh, switches uh, along the way? So, so during that six to nine-month period, we didn't. And I almost hid the team. The exec knew they were there sort of thing, but we did not scream and shout about this team. We didn't promote this team. We didn't talk about them. I mean, there would be people who would be forgiven for peeping, thinking some of the members had left the company, right? We we put them in the basement. We gave them ACDC t-shirts and fed them pizza and beer, and that was it. Hopefully Windows as well. I don't I don't know Windows was a mandatory requirement, but we really <laughs> – so we ring-fenced them. Like you say, a Skunk Works team, we, we just let them get on with it. And so what actually – the quick wins, there weren't any quick wins coming out in those six to nine months, right? There were foundational, exciting things coming across, and we were making sure that we were keeping the, the product development squads in touch with some of that. But actually, we we just said, it's business as usual here. We'll 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 focus in all in all of the areas. Now, now we're coming out of that period, we've got to start getting some quick wins. So for example, this CMS. We've picked this CMS. It's come out of that whole process, and everybody's like, "Right, well, you 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 spent the time doing it. You've analysed it. You've picked it. Now we'll just what click our fingers, and the whole site and app will be run from the CMS." And we're like, "Yeah, no. Now we've got to implement it." So what we're now doing is saying which parts of the site, and that's going to just take some time, right, to to re-engineer all the aspects of all the pages, et cetera, et cetera. So we're now working with the stakeholders to say, which parts of the site just cause you most pain? Which parts do you have to most frequently update? Which parts would you like to be a little bit more exciting with some rich media content? So we're, we're doing standard product prioritization. We're looking at where we can add most value with the CMS, and we're picking off those low-hanging fruits first. And eventually, one day we'll wake up and the CMS will be everywhere. And, you know, there are other aspects, I guess, to, to running the transformation rather than just the technology side of things, the convincing of the board. I mean, one of the big problems with doing a transformation is actually building a team and making sure the team is, you know, at, at running at its best for those people who've been watching Ted Lasso on Apple recently. You know, there's a, there's a whole thing about just building team. You know, how have you done that during a trans, during, done that transformation 
whilst everyone's been remote, you only had like a month in the office before everything started to get locked down. Yeah, I think actually to your earlier point about being uncomfortable, I, I, I never really am uncomfortable. I just think everything's a challenge, right? And so I try to be excited about it. I think we just had to tune ourselves, and everybody else did. And and actually, funnily enough, before I got there, the Naked Wines technology team had been had been thinking about, you know, can we do a bit of remote working? Can we do a bit of this? We had a, a guy who's been with us for ten years, pretty senior technologist, very clever, and um, uh, he has some family in France. So he'd sort of got this local agreement with the CTO that every August he would just go and work from France for the month. And he just quietly did it and it worked well. But that caused a lot of other people a few years ago to start going, can I Can I work from anywhere? Can I work from... So we we were... The, the pandemic from a home working perspective, we were just ripe for the picking, right? We were just ready to, to do that. And everybody looked to me as the new CTO, you know, after the initial... Boris has told you to go home, so we're all being forced to do this. When it was like, could this carry on? You know, everybody was looking at me. And I just said, look, this is yours to balls up, guys. You know, this is this is on you. I re- I'm all about outcomes, team working, us being successful together. I don't care where you are. Yeah, I'll provide a space for you to come and collaborate when we're out of this. And and in fact, we've we've done that with new offices. But yeah, I I don't I don't mind where you're together. I think that on the transformation team, the larger challenge, because I think everybody's faced into that homeworking challenge, and it's almost I've talked about it on several panels, and it almost gets to the kind of like we've all learned those lessons, right? We've all learned how to unmute Zoom and stuff like that. But I think that the the larger challenge is that you've got this team over here who you've empowered to go and do new, sexy and exciting stuff. And you've got everybody else working on the monolith going, what's going on over there? How's, can I, it, that looks fun. Can I have a go? Yeah. And so the way in which we've done that is that we've had almost a sort of weekly broadcast show where the next gen team have turned up and anybody's invited to come along and hear what they've been doing and and just find out about it and input to it and maybe take a bit of it away and try it themselves. So, you know, we're a business. We need to move forward. We need to get things done. There'll always be people doing exciting stuff and people doing mundane work. That's, that, that's life, right? I guess that's that's ultimately why, you know, people get paid and, and do a job, right? Because somebody's got to do the grunt work at some point. But we also are... are bringing that technology from the next gen team we're right in the middle of doing this now this is the stage of the transformation that we're at where they've they've had their time now they need to bring it out and all the good things they've been talking about and they need to make it impactful within the the rest of the product development teams and so there's a buzz of excitement going around the product development teams a minute also a little bit of scared right because they're a little bit like well do we choose to use new or old how does how does that work and of course i'm this lovely empowering cto who goes it's up to you and people are like, yeah, I wish you just told me the answer, you know, sort of thing. And, <laughs> and people love empowerment, but at the same time, sometimes they just they don't like the thinking that they have to do that comes with that. But um, but I think I think that's the bigger challenge is keeping keeping everybody engaged. Mm. Staying on that topic just a little bit as well with your team, what was the ratio to people in this new next gen product development team versus the the other team who are keeping business as usual? So uh, we've done a lot of investment over the years. So we've grown over the years. So it didn't start like this. When it started, we had te- about 10 people in the next gen team and about 30 people in the product development teams. We've now got uh, still about 10 people in the next gen team. I didn't want to grow that too big and make it a, a big thing. But we now have about 70 people in the product development teams. 
Yeah, you you touched on it as well, which, which reminded me of the question is around people being, well, engineers being interested in the next gen stuff. Is there any ambition or are you rotating people? Are you giving people an opportunities, particularly maybe juniors or just just uh, anyone who who's got an interest in being part of the next gen team? Is there any kind of rotation that's happening there just to keep you know, enthusiasm alive uh, to appease people who are maybe a little bit bored being in the product development cycle. I don't know. Is Are you managing that at all? Because I think a lot of our listeners potentially are could be going through this or are interested in this and and how best to, to implement something like this. Because this is the dream, to have a siloed off team who are working on sexy news things and still keeping business open, still keeping the lights on. It's a changing answer, right? Uh, I'd love to be able to say yes, and we're giving everybody a fair crack of the whip, and we're bringing on the the young juniors and giving them all. The, and the answer in the in this first nine month stage is no, because you know we, we've been given some money and we've been trusted with that investment money, but we've got to we've got to move and we've got to move at speed. We've got to get you know on the front foot with that very quickly, and and so that's not a brilliant learning environment. I mean. They'll be learning within there, of course, that is. So, so the learning that we're doing with the rest of the organization is, as I say, coming back around and having these sort of open chats and workshops where they're sharing what they're doing and what they're going through. But at the minute, and this is the balance of bringing an organization and developing individuals versus, you know, business imperative. The business imperative is we've got a certain amount of time and a certain amount of money to get to the future. And and so I've committed senior resources there. We've brought in some externally experienced people rather than maybe giving our juniors a chance to see what they could do, right? And yes, instinctively, that sounds wrong, right? And so, so if any of the listeners to this are thinking, oh, I'm about to do this, I'd say just have a bit of courage about it, right? Get to a certain level with your next-gen technology and bring the guys, everybody else on the journey by talking to them about it but don't rely on them to do that initial foundational stuff. But then as soon as you've got something, bring it back out to the wider people. And so that's where I've been very clear. And still the next gen team are not delivering anything. They're not part of product development. They're not delivering functional capability into the business. They're delivering foundational capability for the product development teams to use to deliver what we need for the business. And so I'm reversing next gen into the normal teams but the first six or nine months there was definitely a bit of like well can i can what are they doing can i go and work on the sexy stuff and and we just had to do a bit of like just leave them be there's some experienced people there they're going to get to a point and then they're going to come and talk to you all about it so you know it, it was just a bit of having courage there to say that's the right thing to do to get to the right level but but yes now that we're coming out of that Everybody will be educated. Everybody will have an opportunity to work on the new stuff. And then I don't ever see us, we'll probably stop calling them the next gen team, but I don't ever see us disbanding that that skunkworks team or the, or that innovation squad or whatever you want to call them, right? And I do see us post-transformation using a rotation technique to make sure that everybody gets a chance to, to be in there. Yeah. I just said innovation squad, which is one of my principles. I, I don't like the idea of having a team with the word innovation around them. Uh, at Sky, I was in charge for a period of time of the innovation team. It's only a small team. They worked on some fabulously exciting cutting edge stuff that generally speaking had no relation to what we were building in, in the product development teams at all. And everybody in the product development teams were jealous of them and hated them. 
So I don't like the idea of having a separate innovation squad. I do like the idea of having somebody who's who's not constrained by a delivery to be doing some broader strategic thinking. Mm. It sounds like a grab at a company calling themselves innovative and making it because we have this innovation team. They're not doing anything. They're just they're just you know seeing what's out. They're just playing around, and it seems just more like a marketing internal marketing. Exactly, and and it just causes. Between teams, it causes friction, right? So it's something you've got to develop into a team as well, isn't it? Really, a team needs to have a its own element of innovation. Um, otherwise, they just become typists, and that's not really what you want. Yeah, absolutely. And some of that's some of that is educating and getting buy-in from the non-technology part of your business to allow innovation. You know, and and I think that's where the product management function can really help out. By, by, you know, being a little bit more expert. So, you know, often technologists are seen by business people as well. You just build whatever we ask you to build. Obviously, that's not true for anybody who's been a technologist, but the product function is sort of sitting partway between with a foot in the in the business part of the business and a foot in the technology team and are, and are able to sort of say, look, we want to we want to give this a go in this direction. We want to do a bit of testing, a bit of experimentation, a bit of innovation for a buzzword, right? And explaining why that's useful and important. And we do have a history of testing in Naked Wines. We're quite, we're quite on, uh, quite good at that. You know, we we like to uh, put up a, you know, do the old A/B test with a with a, a particular proposition page and see how that goes. And so our business stakeholders are very familiar with that world, so that when we turn up and say we want to do some testing in a in a technology sense, some sort of alternative testing, they're quite supportive of it. I just want to uh, go back a little bit. I'm, I'm curious about you know your time spent at, at Sky. I mean, I've had sort of peripheral involvement with Sky. I think we've got quite a lot of connections on LinkedIn from uh, various people who I worked with at Love Film and Amazon who ended up at Sky over over time. But I'm curious, your your time at Sky has that influenced your digital transformation approach? that you're now leaning on now because you know sky is such a huge company and they've had they have so many similar products out in the wild i guess that don't quite all meet in the middle um but there's a whole load of really really cool technology when i talk about that i'm talking about like you know you've got the q you've got the the uh, now tv they've had go they've had all sorts of things in the past but you know i, I mean i've flirted with sky in the past about like digital transformation type work to bring them all together. But I'm wondering, is the stuff that you're doing now, is it is it sort of influenced by what you did or influenced by what you didn't get to do at Sky? You know, how, how has that sort of passion developed over the last sort of decade, I guess? I mean, the answer has to be yes to that, right? It, it has to have been influenced. I was at Sky for six years and uh, and I painted a bit of a negative picture a little while ago. In my last six months at Sky, I was bored, right? But but Sky, the, the five and a half previous years, I had a fabulous career at Sky. I really enjoyed it. I met some very capable, clever people. I worked with some incredibly challenging people at Sky. Um, the senior executive team, you know, they're a successful company, um, can be very demanding. You know, that in itself enabling, you know, tuning yourself to how they think and how they work, you know, was a real learning experience for me. And so I think how I communicate with stakeholders about the transformation work that we're doing, I think I got a lot of that from Sky. And and that's a little bit of rigor, speaking the language, 
repetitiveness, going again, having patience with non-technologists, all of those kind of things. I think I just came across that time and time again at Sky and you just get you just get used to it. So I'm, I'm sure those things have, have been carried forward. I think to your point about maybe things that I haven't carried forward is how to structure a, a team. So uh, I was involved, you mentioned a number of products, Q, Go, Store, et cetera, et cetera. At some point in my journey at Sky, I was in charge of all of those products and the technology delivery teams. I think when I left, I was in charge of all of the video on demand propositions apart from Now TV. And I was I was the day one employee for Now TV anyway, originally. So I'd sort of I'd sort of done that. But I think that we had a structure where I, I think they were sort of experimenting at the time with feature squads. And and we had sort of we had feature squads, but then we had feature departments. And so you would have to rely on a centralized team. I think we went for the term common services at one point, where you had to rely on a centralized team for everything to do with payments. And you got into this mix where you were in a queue to get stuff done with all of the other competing products, all wanting payments to do something. And so I think the thing I learned there was that having a team that are very specialized in an area that become a bottleneck for other teams isn't going to help you transform. And actually, you really want more generalists. You know, we've got the occasional person in Naked who's got a particular specialist bent in an area, but having everybody have the ability to touch all of the code and get involved with the new and the old stuff, I think, I think is at the root of transformation because otherwise you're going to come unstuck. That's much easier to say in a small organization like Naked Wines than it is in a big organization like Sky. But I think how you set yourself up for transformation with the organization is really important. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting talking point because I don't know. I mean, obviously, we've um, there's been a lot of talk, again, in the last decade from about the Spotify model. And when you talk about feature teams, I presume you mean sort of the durable ones like payments. You know, someone's going to own payments and they're going to do that, you know, over and over again until the cows come home. You know, Spotify have just come out recently to say actually it didn't work, and you know that's. Uh, I think that's a really interesting revelation that they didn't get it to work. It never worked. Um, they never actually fully implemented it. All of that sort of stuff. Versus actually, my experience at Amazon was a similar thing to what you're talking about: durable feature teams that actually generally did work, but would often find, to your point themselves under-resourced. You know, there's a huge backlog of everybody waiting for the prime team to implement something or something along those those sort of lines. How do you go about implementing what you've just said in terms of everybody can touch all of the code? Do, do you have some sort of like internal open source model? Does the is there some level of ownership around these things? How do you make sure that code doesn't go stale? You know, I mean there's a there's a myriad of questions to unpack in that, but I'm I'm really curious as to your your approach. Sure. So talking of the Spotify model, I've implemented the Spotify model of product development three times now uh, in three different organizations. And I've always started with the principles, literally putting up their, their slide with the lines and the circles and the squiggles on it and getting everybody to go and watch the videos on YouTube. It's, it's a good little starting area. But then every single time I've completely corrupted the model to fit to the organization. And I think, you know, the phrase that comes to mind here is horses for courses, right? It, it is that you just have to understand what your organization needs and you have to tune it. So at the moment, and, and this time around, I learned something different. I, when I entered Naked Wines, they were already talking about the Spotify model. They didn't know it was the Spotify model. 
they they just had something looked incredibly similar to it. So we just called it the product uh, development model. We just said it's we, we're going to start implementing product development. We had no product managers in the company. Um, we just had technologists and, and uh, you know developers and BAs effectively, um, you know, and, and QAs and system admins and all that kind of stuff. But but in terms of engaging with a customer, you were either a senior developer who, uh, with our internal customers, you were either a senior developer who had to go and talk to them or a BA who had to try and unpick what they were saying. We implemented product managers, and we got that a little bit wrong. You know, we're a nice company within Naked. We like to bring people on. So we we got a couple of people who showed a little bit of spark and said, oh, you're now product manager. This is how it works. Away you go. And, and I think we probably should have brought in maybe a heavy hitter experienced product manager to set us up properly there. I know how, I know what good product management looks like. I've run product management teams before but I'm not an innate product manager myself, right? So, you know, I think that was a bit of a bit of a hiccup. We've now rectified that. We've got a great, great product director in who's worked at Marks and Spencer's and Moo and places like that. And so she's really sharp with that kind of stuff. But I think that tuning the rest of the company around a model that suits you. And in actual fact, on the horses for courses mode, we have we call them all we, we call them all product development squads, and we went for the, the term squads rather than scrums. Don't I can't even remember why, but we just did. But we have project focused squads and we have lean product development squads for want of a better definition. Those squads who are constantly iterating and tuning their backlog and working with the stakeholders on the priorities and optimizing, et cetera, et cetera. Continuous improvement squads, if you like, yeah. And everybody was on that bandwagon. But then we identified that we had a couple of actual, they're just product projects. So we're in the um, in the middle of a, looking at a new ERP system. We, we don't have a, an industry standard ERP system. We have bits and things that we've, we've built over the years and hooks up with various bits of data and spreadsheets and stuff. And we, we want to go for a proper enterprise ERP system. So we're doing that. But that's the kind of thing that you can't just iterate on in a small way. It's got a start, a middle, and the end. It's a project. So although there is a product development squad focused on it, we're treating it as a project and we're it feels more waterfall um, than it than it does agile. But that's okay because that's what we need it to be for now. But then there are other other people who are, you know, tuning tuning the website and the app and our customer journeys on a weekly basis and they're much more continuous improvement agile type squads horses for courses that's my takeaway so well i mean do you think that's the reason why that didn't work then for spotify was that they weren't willing to flex the own model their own model that they developed because i'm in a similar boat to you i think it, it's probably about three or so implementations of similar and it's had to be tuned to make it work which i think is kind of the case for all agile implementations, actually, you know, you you can, you can never really do like here is the Scrum guide and we're going to implement it to the letter. Like it it just never works. You've got to be able to flex for the organization, the culture, whatever it's trying to actually achieve. You know, do you think it's time that we stopped speaking about the Spotify model and uh, just took this as a, a higher level guide? Because those videos are a great way to start. Definitely. I, I think that everybody's going to, listening to this is going to be going, what videos? What are they talking about? You should put a link <laughs> to the videos. But um, I, I don't think it's time to stop talking about Spotify, actually. I think it's. I think it just needs to be talked about at the appropriate size and maturity of organization. Mm-hmm. So, so Spotify, for me, was a startup. 
and the way in which they develop stuff. And they talk about, you know, we were doing daily releases and A-B testing stuff, and it was all very, very sexy and stuff like that. And, and all that happened was, and this was back when most of their users didn't pay, right? And they were in that kind of almost arrogant Facebook world of like, well, you're not paying for it, so shut up. You know, sort of thing. If it if it doesn't work, well, that we're experimenting, and and that's all it is. And and Spotify were in that situation where they they were masters of their own domain. They could release fast and and you know just ask for forgiveness and stuff like that. They're now a mature company who charges people for a premium rate service, and and you know this was one of the things we felt at Sky. You know, Sky is a premium service. Yeah, and and if you're paying that amount of money on a monthly basis, you don't want people experimenting. You just want the bloody thing to work. And so I think that that's where the purest Spotify model, as as it's defined in those cartoony type videos, is for very very lean organizations who are just in their infancy, who can afford to just experiment and don't have to protect their brand and don't have to provide a premium paid service and all of that kind of stuff. I think that's the purest model. Then you have to evolve it as you go along. And and like anything, you just pick the bits that fit your organization, right? You just, your methodology, uh, the methodology we run is not waterfall. It's not agile. It's not wagile. It's not fragile. It's not any of those things that people <laughs> talk about. It is naked wind product development model, and we are constantly tuning it as we learn more and more. And that's what every organisation needs to do. That that thing you talk about with innovation, though, and sort of the advantages that you get as a startup of being smaller, more agile, not having developed a premium product at that particular moment in time. I think that's really interesting, though, because when I joined Tesco, like you know, I think that was probably twenty twelve, thirteen, something like that. They they were in a position when they'd grown so huge that they'd almost forgotten how to do innovation. They had their innovation lab type teams. And actually, I think part of the problem there was trying to figure out how to get the teams back into being able to do innovation again. And so I think there is there is an interesting question in there about how do you get bigger, larger, more PLC type organizations to still feel like they've got that startup mentality and that ability to innovate within their teams without sort of, to a, to a degree, resting on their laurels and to another degree, protecting the premium brand, you know. And uh, the best example of, of the struggle around that uh, that I've come across is with Now TV in Sky. So when we started Now TV, you know, the the board of Sky were split, clearly split on whether or not this was going to erode their traditional revenues. So this was nothing to do with the technology implementation. It was the business model was like, hang on a second, we're going to be offering the same content that you can get on Sky, a premium rate service, but we're going to be offering it with no commitment, no guarantee, switch it off, can eat it as you like. And 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 people couldn't get their heads around it. And people were just a bit like, oh. And then from an innovation perspective, it started off, and, and I, I remember you sort of reminded me of some of these things. It started off where we said, well, shall we put a team in place or shall we build it off the back of Sky Go? which was an existing VOD platform. And it was a brave decision at the time from the, from the technology leadership team to say, 
Well, actually, it felt like a brave decision. Actually, I think it was probably because there was too much going on in Sky Go, so we couldn't get anywhere near the platform. But just conflicts. But we ended up going and building something new from scratch. And now TV had a managing director of its own, so it was treated like a a sub company, as it were, to the wider Sky team. It had a little little board of directors, and they met and they looked after the business and the technology. And as such, it was a venture within a large corporate. And I think there's something to be learned from that because right down to what it called itself, uh, Now TV, you know, it's now called Now, right? But, but um, Now TV wasn't Sky, right? It was, it was very much its own brand. I think everybody ended up understanding that it was, you know, had Sky content on it and stuff, but, but it was its own brand. And that in itself was like a, a huge leap of faith from the Sky board. And I think just, I don't want to use the term ring fencing again, but giving a committed, dedicated venture and making it into a business. And I think that's the way to go, is that if you want to do something that is different from the norm, then give it its own life. You know, Give it some support, give it some rigor and make a commitment to it. Still needs to be accountable, still needs to turn up and wash its face every now and again, but, but you know, just give it that freedom. And I don't have a problem. I mean, I think I probably... I was at BT before Sky, and I was involved in BT Movio, which was the world's first broadcast TV on a mobile phone, um, which sounds like a really weird thing to say now, considering what everybody can do on a mobile phone. But there was a time when you couldn't watch video and TV on a mobile phone. And that was a venture inside BT. We'd have never been successful if that had just been part of the BT machine. But it was a separate venture. And Sky Go, Sky Q, Sky Store... Now TV were all really treated as separate ventures within less SkyGo actually because that was the sort of flagship product they had, but were all treated as separate ventures within the company, and I think that that you know gave them the accountability and the wiggle room to be a bit more innovative. So, well, I mean, Now TV, I think you know from a product perspective has been a, a huge success. I presume that it has been commercially as well for for Sky, but it still feels like it's a very separate product at this point. My, going back to my point about sort of integrating that innovation back into the organization, is that something that Sky have a, a problem with in the way that other PLCs have of like going, okay, well actually, you know, this is the this is the thing now. We're gonna we're gonna do now TV. You know you are right that that it is a separate product that was done on purpose. I I remember in the early days we did some uh, consumer testing, you know, where you, you, you go to a, a lab and, and they get asked a whole lot of questions. And I was involved in the initial panel with Now TV, where we got a bunch of people in a lot of different demographics, only five or six in a room, and we talked them through this potential service. And we explained what it would be and the kind of price range it would be and how it would work and all that kind of stuff. But we didn't declare that we were Sky. That was the whole purpose of it. We just sort of said, you know, this is the service. And then at the end of that session, we said to people, "Would so what do you think? Would you buy this service? Is it something you're interested in? And I think somewhere like 80% of everybody was like, yes, yeah, I, I can see this is the future. This would be a great service. I think it would be good. My family would enjoy it. I like the lack of commitment, all that kind of stuff. And then as the final point, we revealed that we were Sky. And almost instantly, 50% of those people said, I wouldn't buy it. Really? <laughs> and some of that was the Murdoch factor. Some of that was like, oh, I, I can't believe Sky are doing something that, that won't tie me in for years and I won't have a satellite on the side of my building. So there was a real brand 
situation there and, and a kind of some some assumption and awareness around around what sky stood for and that's one of the reasons that they maintained the separate now tv brand yeah in terms of the second part of your question around technology innovation so we spotted this early because we got to the point and sky store um in actual fact for sky store we went and acquired a third-party company funnily enough called ace tracks in in europe who were who were trading across europe and we went and acquired them shut their entire business down and just took their technology platform and the reason we did that was because sky go was so busy with their roadmap on their technology platform now tv was so busy with their roadmap on the technology we just couldn't get near it and we were just like well we need another platform so that we can develop at speed so we went and bought one it was the quickest acquisition ever been done in Sky. It was very exciting and interesting. But um, and, w- and we brought that we brought that in, and then we suddenly were like, right now we really have different technology. It was built on .NET, whereas the other platforms were kind of in a in a Java world. And so very much we we were like, okay, well, well, how do we blend all this together? How do we learn? You know, you're talking like three thousand engineers in the VOD world within Sky now, and it's like, how are we sharing all that information? So you touched on it earlier. We did we did two things really in Sky. One was we had an internal open source program because we realized that take a video player, for example, we, we're losing Sam at this point, but Chris is very much in this world, right? So <laughs> take, take a video player. I think at one point we had eight different video players in our products and then across all the different devices, of course. So we put together an internal open source product to create a flexible video player that could work in all of those. And initially, we literally just bought two developers from each of those platforms together, made them into a virtual squad, and said, create a video player that will work everywhere. And so we came up with that internal open source approach, which was really good. But then we created an engineering culture. And this is the newest part over the last sort of I don't know, six or seven years that I've seen that engineering companies are getting much better at doing is talking about their success, talking about the exciting things that they do. And so Sky has, uh, very fortunate to have a a huge, great cinema in in Sky, as you would expect from a company that does a lot of film stuff. And, uh, And we used to take over this cinema once a month and invite a whole load of the engineering department and some of the engineering leads or anybody who'd been working on a particularly innovating project would come along and give a presentation on it and, and be part of that community. And so that was that was a very useful way of sharing the experience and knowledge as well. But yeah, we, we all have to do that. I, I think it was so, that became almost a full-time job to get that sharing and that internal sort of open source thing going. I've probably done for any of my Naked Wines team listening to this, probably a little bit of a an early reveal, we will be doing internal open source. We're just not there yet. But uh, <laughs> I'll see how many of them get this far in the podcast, right? By seeing if, say, did you hear me say anything special? See if, you know, see if they go, I heard internal open source. And- there we go. Got the little, little nuggets left at the end for what's coming up in the future. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think it's a really interesting point, though, because I think it's a very um, – it's a very hard thing to do in an organization that's that scale. I mean, like, you know, for, for me, Tesco is a similar sort of size of like three and a half thousand. And again, you're trying to take a, a set of experiences from from somewhere else that you've seen do things more in a, in more creatively, let's say. It's very difficult to try and figure out how to get that into into a large organization and make that innovation sort of pervasive, I guess. 
But uh, but yeah, I mean, for the, for the future, for the Nuggets, uh, for the the Naked Wines family that's still listening, have you got any other uh, any other future Nuggets that you can reveal to us? What, what's the direction for Naked Wines? Um, I mean, I I think we're still on a little bit of a journey of getting the basics right. Uh, we're still converting from a a company that wasn't investing, wasn't able to invest as much as we can now in our technology. And um, I think they understood the value. They've always understood the value of good technology, but but now we have the opportunity to make some great technology. And I've got I've got the real benefit of having some some almost lifers in Naked Wine people who've been around a long time, but consequently bringing them into the new way of thinking can be quite challenging. So I think you know that's part of the people journey that I'm on, and I and I that's probably where I spend most of my time evangelizing about how things can be better and give us greater opportunity and be more exciting for us as a technology team. I very much you know, position us as part of the business rather than the IT department. We were literally called the IT department when I turned up. And I think that was probably, I tried not to go in guns a blazing on day one, but I think that was probably my first sort of dictate was like, okay, we're the technology team. We're not you know, we're not the IT department, right? The IT department's that bloke in the corner who fixes your PCs, right? And so um, I think the cultural change, we want to keep the good cultural aspects of Naked Wine, its ethos, how it's, what its trading principles are, all that kind of stuff, but bring a bit more of a kind of positive, we can do this, let's say yes, let's not be scared of what technology can bring us. That's not really a, a reveal. My team know about that. I'm just using the opportunity of this podcast to remind them. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, th- there's that. I think in terms of technology, I think there are things that the team just don't think we're going to get into. So internal open source, I can see them sitting here going, well, how does that apply to us? There's only like, you know, 100 people in the department. We don't, I mean, it's like we don't need to do that. But we've we've just put our first development squad in America. And so working globally with a development squad. And I'm not ruling out the fact that we might have a, an offshore team in you know, Kiev or Portugal or Mexico City or whatever as, as we expand, particularly as it's expensive to recruit people in, in uh, West Coast America. But, you know, we're, we're going to be working much more globally. And so I think that understanding how we can produce something that fits all three countries, but can also be tuned for each of those countries and how we're going to get technology to help us do that, I think is kind of exciting. And then I think probably a little bit further on from the basics and just being really, really good at what we do as a business. I think that's where I mentioned right at the top things like helping out our, our customer happiness team with uh, sentiment analysis and, and you know dynamic data coming out at them about w- what, the, what they're talking to this customer about and any opportunities that they could offer them. From that end on the customer service through to we've got a robotics implementation in, in our warehouse in Australia that we're looking to to test out so that there'll literally be you know bottles of wine picked by robots and you know how's all the data from that going to be useful to us and pulled through into our proposition so i think all of that just getting a little bit smarter with every aspect of our business right from the customer service right down to the delivery and understanding all of the data around that is a very exciting area for us so that's very exciting and does that sort of does that underpin a 
a global expansion for naked wines as well? What, what, where are you hoping to see naked wines in the marketplace? So we often get asked, because we're in three large countries, people say, so where are you going next? And our answer at the moment, we're not going to rule anything out, but our answer at the moment is very simply, we've got headroom in those markets, right? We want to provide the best proposition and product and service that we can provide into those markets to as many people as we can. I think we've got a few years on that yet. Yeah? I'm not saying we won't suddenly spring up somewhere else in the world in a few years' time, but for now, we've, we've, we've got to focus in those markets and providing a, a really great service and, and proposition to those marketplaces. But from a technology and product point of view, we are becoming a lot more global. We, we were born out of, out of Norwich in, in the UK. That's where most of the team are today. And, and they're, they're a really great team with lots of great experience. But, you know, we're in the American market. We're in the Australian market. Why, why would we not want to have people on the ground who understand those local cultures, who understand those economies, who understand how, how the domestic world works in those markets? That brings not just technical value to us, but real un local understanding. So we'll be, we'll be doing a lot more expansion of, of the product and technology teams over the next few years in those markets. So a good platform from which to launch from and to which to expand as required. Yeah, I don't want to be caught short. Like I say, we're focused on what we're doing now. But when my CEO turns up one day and says, yeah, I'm thinking China. What do you think? <laughs> I, I want to be in a position where we can go, yeah, go on then. Yeah, absolutely. That would be my perfect answer would be like, yeah, go on then. Yeah, I'll, I'll, have, a, I'll have a test website split off and up and branded for you this afternoon. And then we can launch in three months, right? That's I'd love to get to the position where if the request comes or an alternative brand, right? We, you know, we might go, who knows? We might say something like, oh, let's have naked wine for, you know, toddlers or something. That's probably a bad, bad idea. Like, <laughs> like I say, I'm, I'm not the marketing guy, right? <laughs> you must be getting onto being uh, Norwich's best exporter at this point, naked wine, surely? Yeah, I mean the uh, the it's a challenging world at the moment in the in the world of logistics and export and stuff like that. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of retraining as a lorry driver. It's got to be a good career move at this moment. But um, well, you could well you could work remotely and drive lorries. I'm sure you can multitask. It. Yeah, I think I think we have wine from from all all around the world um, that we send to all, all of our markets, and and we also work locally in all of the markets with the winemakers. Um, so there's a lot in America. There's obviously a lot of American wine. In Australia, there's a lot of Australian wine. In the UK, there's a lot of European wine. But the UK is is coming on in its wine production as well, particularly around sparkling wines. The climate change over the last few years is actually making the south of England better for the production of of champagne type wines than the actual champagne region in France. So um, watch this space. <laughs> That's interesting. Well, on that note, I think we'll just thank you for your time because we think we've probably taken enough of it. So thanks for uh, thanks for joining us on the show this morning. Uh, that's absolutely my pleasure. And thank you for reminding me of some things I hadn't thought about for a while. I'll, I'll probably, not, my team will hate it. I'll probably now go back and say, I remember this and I remember this. We should now look at all of these things. Every time I think, they get a bit worried, I think. so. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thanks. Thank you, guys.